Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Live from the 6th and Peabody studio and across the Outkick network, this is Outkick 360 with Jonathan Hutton, Chad Withrow, and Paul Kuharski. From Radio Row, Outkick 360 rolls on across the Outkick network. Crew is all here today. Uh, great staff and crew back in Nashville making all of the uh, production happen on the radio and video side as well. Uh, shout out to everyone without Kick and Fox for making it happen all week long here at the convention center as we lead up to Super Bowl 56 between the Bengals and the Rams. Dr. David Chow was in Nashville with us last week. He has joined us in Los Angeles today. Pro Football Doc on Twitter is where you can follow him and you can read his work at OutKick.com. Great to see you again. I'm gum on your shoe. I'm following you. <laughs> well, how are things? Good, good. You know, this is the quietest radio row I've ever seen. I agree. It's, yeah. not, yeah. it's not all bad. <laughs> no. It is quieter. Yeah. So it sounds like Uzuma is going to play. Um, detail the injury for us because that's the only injury update that has come across anything uh, injury related with these teams. Now, we'll get a report later today. Yeah. Thankfully, they have you know the extra week built in for this very reason. They want the teams as healthy as possible. Um, what do you think about Azuma's chances? Well, we'll talk about Azuma, but then there's actually a lot of injury news that we are covering at Sports Injury Central and through OutKick. But for him, it's a grade two MCL. If this were a normal two-week recovery timeline, there's no way he plays. Mm. Why? Because if he makes it worse, he could miss the next week, the next week, the week after. This is the final game. But add to that, look, he wants to play. He's a veteran. He's been through his injuries. He's done the WWE take off the brace and whatever But at the, at the, at the send-off. But he's still limping. He's not 100%. But here's why I firmly believe he's going to play. This is the Super Bowl. He's waited all his life for this. He doesn't want to miss it. He can play. The question is how effective. They just have to figure out the roster for him. But imagine if you're Zach Taylor. This is a guy who's loved by the team, one of the veterans. This is his first chance of the Super Bowl after all those years of losing. And he says, I'm sorry, CJ, you're 70%. I'm not going to activate you on Sunday. I mean, the whole locker room would be on his side saying whatever. I mean, he's good for the team to be out there, but he's not going to be 100%. I think he's going to play. Tyler Higby, uh, the other one with, with injury news, looking doubtful at this point. Well, like I said, there's no way he's going to be 100% either. But perhaps the difference is they really need C.J. Uzma because he's the pass catcher. Right. Drew Sample's a blocker. No offense to Drew. Whereas Kendall Blanton is a pretty good pass catcher behind Higby. So the dynamics may be a little bit different in how the decisions are going to be made. But expect at least two, if not all three Rams on injured reserve, who are practicing, and we haven't heard anything about them yet, and they're not on injury practice reports because they're on injury reserve. Daryl Henderson, 
Sebastian Joseph Day and Robert Rochelle, all three could come back for the Super Bowl. And I'm pretty positive Daryl Henderson will and be effective. And so there's a decision to be made at running back for the Rams in terms of utilization. So there's always lots of news out there. It's just, you know, Super Bowl week. They're tightening down the information right now. Three-headed monster there, potentially hot if Henderson can do something with Akers and with Sony Michelle. So uh, and considering Akers played well coming off of that injury that he had, the Achilles. Well, it's not just the Achilles and he's not 100% from that. If you look at video that we've dissected on Twitter and at the website, he's not the same explosive guy he was playing against Seattle last year in the playoffs. He's doing well, but don't forget he hurt his shoulder last game. Mm. He didn't leave the game. He stayed in the game, but he's been DNP all last week. So he's got a shoulder issue on top of an Achilles that may not be 100%. Daryl Henderson is now six weeks from his MCL. It was week 16. It'll be six weeks by Sunday. He should be good to go. Sony Michelle's in the mix. He's always had a chronic knee issue. So I think they will have some options at running back on, uh, on Sunday. Week 16 sounds like it should be a lot more recent. I, d- I know it yeah. does. It Way really back does. in week 16. Back in 2019, right? Week 16. <laughs> Dr. Chow, why um, why do you think there are, are not more analysts, the way you look at injuries, sports injuries, through video on social media the way you are? Well, I mean... You've kind I of cornered the market, yeah. I feel like, there, on there, that. There are, and I'm not, I'm not inviting everyone to join. No, I'm just no, I'm curious why we haven't seen others. more. I think there are, but I, I think it's not that easy to do. And, and I welcome it. I think it's something that should be out there and can't be out there. I mean, I studied video for 17 years. Mm-hmm. After seeing a guy on the field, on the sideline, in the locker room, on Monday morning after an MRI, I'd see him. I'd look at video before I talked to the GM because why? Everyone in the NFL building was looking at video. So I trained doing this for 17 years, not knowing that this is what I was going to do. There I had the answer. I knew the diagnosis. Then I went back and looked at the question of the video because the NFL teams, they all look at video. And so this now is reverse. I don't know the answer, but I, I can see the question. I can postulate my answer. So it's, it's harder than you think. It's not a carny trick. There's a lot that goes into it. I love how people on Twitter say, uh, tell me how you know that there. Like, well, I can't do it in like a <laughs> sentence or two, right? I mean, Why don't you go to medical school? <laughs> then you'll know. <laughs> Should be your response. You know, yeah. so. Um, so it, it sounds like the, the rules committee is going to be considering even more changes to special teams because some, some data came back and it, it, there's like, Paul, like 30% of the injuries this year happen in that third of the game. and Which you know, isn't a third a very, of the snap. Exactly. And, and considering that, it's a, a much higher percentage. Um, what, what can be done at this point besides just saying, you know what, there's, we're going to eliminate this. We're not going to have special teams. We're not going to have kickoffs. Everyone's going to take the football to a certain spot. Um, aside from that, is there a specific rule that you think you could tweak to, to cut down on some of the soft tissue injuries? Yeah. Well, soft tissue is a little bit harder because it's just open field. But the collision injuries, that's where they're looking at. And it started with concussions, right? So the target right now seems to be punt returns. Why? Because there's fewer injuries on kickoffs. Why? Because they moved up the kickoff, mm. and so there's more touchbacks. So, shocker, there's less collisions. We all know, I believe it was the XFL, right? You had the two guys lined up, and they both went for the ball. That that was a dangerous play. Well, what do you do on kickoffs? What was it week in December? The runner, the, one guy got a concussion, one guy hurt his knee because they literally ran straight into each other, the ball carrier and the tackler. 
head-on collision, so to speak. So when you have that, that is something, they've tried to change the blocking rules and no wedge and all this stuff, but it still does happen when two people are running against each other full speed. So I think that's what they're going to look at. I think the idea that I would have right now that's easier, there seem to be a lot of injuries. Look, you can't do a horse collar where you bring a guy down from behind. That causes a lot of injury. But the other thing that's happening is if you hang on to a guy's waist and then swing your legs and use your body weight to tackle them from the side or behind, that turns out to be a lot of ankle and knee injuries as well. Uh, that's one of the things that happened to the Raiders' uh, backup running back. I'm blanking on his name this year. Not Josh Jacobs, obviously. Kendall Drake, he hurt oh. his ankle that exact way. And there's about a dozen of those examples where a guy uses their body weight to make a legal tackle, but by leaving their feet, their whole body ends up falling on the back or the sides of a player's leg. That's one where I think a simple rule change might be in effect. You can grab someone low, but you can't swing and use your body weight to make the tackle. You have to keep your feet. So I'm sure the NFL is looking at all sorts of different ways, and hopefully they study that one. We're talking to a lot of former NFL stars on Radio Row, and an injury that always jumps out to us because you see it are finger injuries. Um, you know, Talking to Anthony Munoz earlier, he's got the, the – is it a fusion that happens – Explain that. How common are injuries like that to football players, and what what is the solution? Just fusing your finger to yeah, L? Because we see so many of them. Yeah, we see it, it all the time. Yeah, Tory Holt corrected. has a bent hand. But Anthony I think Munoz, all these guys. You can answer it. That may be how it was fixed. Let me tell you, if you're especially if you're in the trenches, you know, offensive line, defensive line, linebackers. If your fingers aren't mangled, yep. you didn't play back in <laughs> the mean, backup. You, oh boy, <laughs> I mean that's just the way it is. And, and, you know, there's a lot made of, oh, this guy dislocated his finger and he came back in. The vast majority of the time what happens, they dislocate their finger, they go to their buddy or the veteran in the huddle, or they do it themselves and they relocate it, they tape it up, and you never even hear about it in the injury report. I think where the fans are surprised is, look at all these finger injuries. Well, we didn't see these on the injury reports. Oh, they were all there. Just nobody ever missed a game due to a finger injury, et cetera. And look, Joe Burrow, his pinky injury, we don't even talk about, right? I mean, you're right. He's going to play, and he's going to be fine. He dislocated his finger in December. We don't even talk about that at all. Heck, we don't even talk about his ACL anymore, right? <laughs> he's done well. So that finger stuff is, is largely regarded as a pain, pain thing. Well, you know, the you bottom line is, back in you, know, uh, you know, everyone knows the Ronnie Lott story, right? Mm -hmm. And, you know, you can buddy tape, you can do this. It hurts like crazy. Look, I can't tell you the number of times that we injected a finger to numb it so they wouldn't feel it and they could still make tackles and make plays. It, and it, that didn't show up on injury reports. Is there a surgery that can correct it to some extent where it doesn't after, constantly after dislocate? Yes, but sometimes it's late if you wait till the end of the season to do the primary surgery. And believe it or not, some of these finger surgeries are very delicate rehab. Do you want to have six months of rehab and, and casting and splinting, or you just say, I'm just going to leave it? Because, you know, the NFL calendar ticks on. So a lot of guys just, you know, say it'll be okay. Or do guys wait to the end of their career at times? Yeah, but then you end up sometimes late. You end up with fusions. You can't do the primary uh, uh, volar plate repair with immobilization. You just end up living with See, it. See, guys, this is the reason I chose not to play. <laughs> I just value my hands too much. Well, I didn't play in the NFL, but I've got a pinky that won't stay in place, and I've, I probably once or twice a year I'll be doing something it'll go at an L. And uh, I, I talked to a doctor about it, and he said, well, we can fuse it. At this point, there's right. just no ligament left in it, so well, you're always at risk of it just my, my, going my dislocated. My crooked finger was a uh, flag football injury when I was in grade school, and uh, 
you know, it's no big deal. Fun but. party tricks. <laughs> yeah. It's not fun. You're right. It does hurt, too, every time. doesn't get any easier. What are you going to be doing in the, uh, well, I say the off-season. There really is no off-season. Are you, are you evaluating what's going on at the Combine? Yes. And, uh, look, I might see you guys out at the yeah. Combine. I mean, mm-hmm. I've been to, to 20 different Combines. I call it affectionately Groundhog Day. <laughs> it's the same thing, same thing. And literally, you're in the room and you're, examining 80 players a day in a in a, in a room doing the, the same thing for four straight days and of course there's the obligatory uh saint elmo's dinner and the shrimp oh yeah the, the cocktail sauce etc but i might go back this year because there's so much attention to the draft and draft injuries i mean look at the alabama wide receivers with acls look there's free agent movements who's healthy who's not and and who can get renewed and then you know heck we've got we're covering NBA, and when baseball starts up at Sports Injury Central, we're going to have a court view and a diamond view for them like we had for field view. So we got a lot going on this, uh, this offseason. Even with the NFL being year-round, there's other sports we're getting involved in too. So real quick, Jamison Williams uh, with the ACL injury in the national championship game. What's the timetable for him now? If you're, well, are, what are teams considering as they evaluate him? Okay, here's what teams are considering. If I were still on an NFL team, assuming he had an ACL and no other damage, I think you would project that he's unlikely to be ready to go for the start of the season. Perhaps he can do something late season. I mean, let's talk about Odell Beckham. Everyone talks about Odell Beckham for the Super Bowl as, wow, he's with the Rams and the new scheme really helped him. Matthew Stafford is better. Sean McVay is better. Maybe, but that's not the whole story. Remember, he came off an ACL tear, and we said the first half of the year he wasn't going to be as good. The first half of the year he was in Cleveland, he wasn't as good. Second half of the year, his knee is better, and he's got the number two corner covering him instead of the number one. So he's doing very well. The Jameis Williams and, and the receiver, look, he can still draft him, but he's not going to be ready the beginning of the season or have a great rookie season. We talked about Bud Dupree. I was never against signing Bud Dupree, but we knew the first part of the season not so good. I'm sure no one in Tennessee regrets drafting Jeffrey Simmons right now. And he was coming off an ACL uh, in the offseason later than Jameis Williams. But nobody regrets drafting him. And you knew he wasn't going to be great the first part of the, his rookie season. It, it's, it sounds weird. He can actually benefit from falling in the draft because he goes to a better organization with an established quarterback. I mean, in theory, that's how it should work because those teams are drafting later. And maybe for long term as opposed for immediate need. The other thing that would be a potential benefit for him if he falls out of the first round, the key for all these players to make the big money is to make the second contract. And if you get drafted in the second day, not the first day, there's no fifth-year option. So you get free earlier. You can make the money earlier. So there's an upside and downside to anything. One thing that was ridiculous to me, so we put out on Twitter and through OutKick immediately, the game's still going on, it looked like he tore his ACL, unfortunately, and went right. But then we had a chorus of people say, well, he's probably now going to come back to school. No, he's not. He's going to rehab on the NFL's dime, just like when Tua dislocated his hip. Rehab on the NFL's dime, start knocking off years off your pro contract. Why take more injury risk another year in college? That makes no sense uh, in terms of what's going on. And I'm not anti-education, but I'm just saying from a football perspective there's no way that kid's going back to school it's in his complete benefit to turn pro yeah follow dr chow on twitter at pro football doc and again you can read uh, his work at outkick uh and you've, you've also got the the website yeah uh, six score.com sic score.com uh, sports injury central there good to see you as always 
Always a pleasure. Your shoe, maybe combine. All right, yeah. yeah. There you go. We'll Bring see you in Indy. We'll yeah, see you in yeah. Indy. That's right. All right. Dr. David Chow has been our guest. Uh, again, Pro Football Doc on Twitter is where you can find him. Uh, and Paul, you're right. The injury reports will be released later this this today? afternoon. Yeah. Practice day. Getting ready for uh, ready for uh, Super Bowl Fifty Six coming up. Ed McCaffrey's going to join us. That's going to be in about ten minutes from now. Uh, as we roll on from Super Bowl Fifty Six Radio Row. Um, yesterday, guys, we discussed Kyler Murray and the situation and what happens moving forward. Um, I, I wonder if we see the financials change a- completely. Joe Burrow, I mean, he's eligible for an extension um, when you start to look at what he can do. Not for another year. Oh, that's right. That's next year. For after three oh, years. Oh, that's right. After three years. Um, Lamar Jackson is set to play on a fifth-year option coming up. Um, he, by the way, uh, the, the Ravens have that, right? said – they're negotiating at his pace. So he's dragging his feet for some reason. That's odd. Yeah. Is he, I wonder if he's considering hiring someone. <laughs> well, he should be. But I also wonder if he's considering, like, maybe his value is a little bit dulled right now because he's coming off an unproductive, unhealthy season. And that, that, you know, four, six games into next year, if he's back to himself, uh, and, and flashing big, uh, they'll be more keen to bigger numbers. Well, think about the numbers we're about to see because you've got Justin Herbert. Um, he's, he's available after next year. Burrow's available for the extension next year. All of these contracts always, you know, jump ahead and, and they're the new record setter. Right. But, I mean, we're going to get into an era quickly where the bottom-tier starting quarterbacks are going to make between 22 and $26 million a season. Think about that. Just the Tannehill made 30 this year after, the, after they restructured it to get Julio in. But that's going to be like the, some of the worst starters that you would consider ranking 1 through 32. That's the money they're going to get. Just the price of doing business to have a quarterback on your roster, which is insane to think about. And then, you know, mid-tier is probably what Tannehill's getting, somewhere between 30 and 34. Yep. And then you're going 40-plus, where Mahomes' money is just going to be an afterthought. And that TV money uh, hasn't really caught up to the cap, into the cap yet. Uh, So we should see some cap acceleration in the next couple of years. Yeah. Yeah. and, and that doesn't mean that those quarterback numbers are then going to be more uh, palatable to the cap. It means they're going to go up. Um, another thing that came out recently, a, a piece on the, the scouting departments of both of these franchises. It really is the haves and the have-nots. Oh, yeah. Cincinnati, so consider the their, their the stadium, and uh, they don't even have an indoor practice facility. Uh, the payroll is... Uh, traditionally amongst the lowest, although, you know, there's a cap and there's a floor. Um, but Cincinnati has an eight-man staff for player personnel in that department. L.A. has 26 people in their player personnel department. And Cincinnati has always been the slimmest. Um, you know, they, Why they, is that? they explain that. Well, at the beginning, it was cheapness. Um, and I think there's still a degree of cheapness, but I think they they uh, rationalize is, is that, it. I wonder and, if they at least pay the eight scouts a little bit more. Oh, I doubt. Than the 26 scouts make if for the Rams. If you're doing it for cheapness, cheapness, you're not. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, but you would still save even if they made a little bit more if you only had eight. I doubt it, but they rationalize it, uh, and 
I, I think I'm remembering this correctly. And look, it, it makes a little bit of sense when they talk about it. Like, I do think there is such a thing as too many. I don't know if the Rams have too many. Baltimore but how many voices? Most. How many voices do you do you want? You know, you could say every stone unturned and we want every guy. But if you hire the right I'm not defending Cincinnati. I think it's too few. But I can understand somebody logical having a more minimalistic view, not eight, maybe 16, where you say, I'm going to have very good scouts. We're going to have, I don't know how many, three sets of eyes, a regional scout and two checkers or, you know, overlapping or whatever the system is. And they're going to be very good scouts, and I'm a very good GM. And after a certain point, it's noise. You know, I don't need... If my guys are trained in my system and we know what we're looking for and the coaches communicate to the scouts, this is what we want in a a defensive tackle, and my guy who covers the southeast knows how to look at defensive tackles, well, how many views of that defensive tackle do I need before I have guys stepping on each other or before we're getting repetitive? So I don't know what me personally saying. I don't know how many, you know, I think you're well, getting repetitive or stepping on each other if you've got six guys looking at that guy. It should at some point be repetitive if my staff is well-trained and efficient. Well, I think I would err on the side of repetitive as opposed to the side of cheap and bare bones. When you when you are a I think you should when you are an operation like an NFL team yeah. and the money that's coming I in. I think you should be able to know what the median the median is there. Now, the one thing that I'm curious about scouts-wise, and this is my All-22 has this conversation all the time, uh, and I, I don't think it's feasible. I, don't, I just don't think it's feasible. But as opposed to having a regional scout, they wonder about having a defensive line scout. And a scout that's X, because, like, uh, you, you look at certain teams always have problems at certain positions. The Titans right now are struggling at offensive line. Why is that? They wonder, couldn't you maybe do better at offensive line if you had specific scouts that looked at offensive linemen? Because they clearly have some scouts who aren't good with offensive linemen. Or a GM who's got a hole at offensive linemen who needs help at Mm -hmm. offensive linemen. But I don't think logistically it's feasible to have offensive line scout who scouts the whole country's offensive linemen or a couple of them. Just logistically it's too big. I can see Ed McCaffrey walking this way. Uh, just to point out, the Rams have 26 in player personnel. That's not rare. That's not like they have just extraordinary amount. We, you've got uh, Baltimore with 35. So we're just comparing the Rams to the Bengals because that's the opponent yeah. uh, on, on Sunday. The average across the league is 21, and the Bengals have eight. And this is in, in personnel, the personnel period. They, they also have to be really many, bad. How many college and how many pro. That's what Cincinnati does is they ask their scouts to double up on, on free agency and the draft. Yep. And that's where they're overstretched, I'm sure. Ed McCaffrey joins us next on Outkick 360. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. 
We have a Broncos great up next on Outkick 360 from Radio Row. Ed McCaffrey joins us at our broadcast site. Great to see you. Good to see you. Thanks for having me on the show. Absolutely. What, what brings you to L.A.? Uh, I don't know. Just rolling around the town and thought I'd stop by right. and see who's here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, I'm here actually talking about Mueller Sports Medicine. Um, you know, if you've ever taped your ankles, used pre-wrap, ever worn like an elbow sleeve or an ankle brace or a knee brace, you've probably used the Mueller product. They've been around for 60 years. But now they're, they've created this product called the Handy Gym. Uh, that is the world's smallest gym. It's just a portable gym. You can do all the exercises you would do it at the gym. For people that don't want to put a 1,000-pound squat rack in their house or don't have two hours to run and get a workout in at a gym, you can take this with you. You could get a workout between guests. You really could. Upper body, lower body. It's a pulley system, push-pull, has a little platform. Put it in a backpack, weighs two to three pounds, and it's just an incredible way to get a workout. Um, and so many people, when they get older, like myself, you forget about resistance training. You go for a walk or a jog, and you think that's enough. But I'm telling you, maintaining your muscle mass is one of the best ways to slow down the aging process. So this is just a, a way to take your workout with you wherever you, wherever you go. So yeah. three-time Super Bowl champion, one with the Niners, two with the Broncos. Um, I'm sure receivers in the 70s, would tell you, I would really like to have played in your era if they were going up against Jack Tatum, giving the forearm shiver to the jaw uh, in a game and not getting flagged for it. When you watch the game today and the way rules have even evolved since you played, do you look at receivers of today and think, I'd like to play in today's NFL, where it's gotten even a little bit safer and the rules are even more designed for offense at receiver? Yeah, I'm all about player safety. Having played for a long time, I'm all about player safety. I got kids that play. I'm all about player safety. You know, when I played in the league, I hear all these old curmudgeons that played before they kept sack totals. You know, when you could uh, pick up a quarterback and pile drive him into the ground. Uh, Targeting, that's called tackling. Yeah, I mean, there were were no rules. And I remember thinking about those old timers and thinking, hey, dude, you know, pipe down a little bit. You know, it's a new game. Get over it. And now I'm that guy. I'm like, oh, you guys are so lucky. The way they call the game today, man. You can't targeting. I mean, John Lynch, Brian Dawkins, they, they would aim for your head every single time across the middle and be knocking people out. Uh, but, you know, you see CT, that's no laughing matter. You see all the guys limping around here with all kinds of injuries, but especially head trauma. It's, it's just not a joke. Like, everybody is willing to sacrifice for the team and for the game and to have the most wonderful experience in the world, which is to play in the NFL. But you take your scars with you, and they last a lifetime. So anything you can do, you're never going to prevent guys from getting hurt, but anything you can do that improves player safety, and it's not just games, it's practices, right? The rules related to practices. Heck, when I was in New York, we had two live full-speed scrimmages twice a week during training camp. The guys were taking each other out in the scrimmages and celebrating it. That was just called practice. So I'm all for player safety, but yeah, I'm that old guy now. I wish I could play in a game where you can't uh, go helmet to helmet or target players, take them out over the middle. They weren't calling pass interference back then the way they do today. It's, It's a passing game. I mean, and it's, it's built for excitement and explosive plays, and receivers are a big part of that. And quarterbacks change their game. You used to not lead receivers into traffic because you'll get them killed. Now it's like, well, you can't, you can't spear them, so you see more quarterbacks taking chances with the football and receivers catching balls they wouldn't have caught in the past because they would have gotten taken out. So it's changed the game, but I think for the better. And even though I'd love to play today, you know, I had a great career and played during a great time. Um, when the rules were a little bit different and the game was a little bit different. But, hey, evolve, right? Evolve or, and adapt or, you know, you, you, risk, um, you risk the game, really, because with the lawsuits and all that other stuff that was happening and kids were not signing up for youth football, you, you, the NFL had to change the game or they were going to lose some of their audience. My uh, medically conditioned eyes suggest that you came through it pretty well. How Thank are you? you. How are you health-wise? You know, 
feeling pretty good, knock on wood. You know, I, I, I had my share of surgeries, had like 12 surgeries, broke my leg, adductor surgery, ankle surgery, Achilles heel surgery, shoulder surgery. And, you know, every year at the end of the year, you just call it getting patched back up and getting ready for the next year. So I definitely paid the price, but I feel lucky considering, you know, some of the stuff my teammates have gone through with fake knees and fake hips and things like that. Try to keep myself in shape, try to do the best I can to, you know, eat right and stay active. I think that's very important, staying active when you're done. Guys that retire with injuries and they aren't very active, you, you go to a bad place. It can be depressing, you know, to live that life and play that sport and then not have something to segue into. Today's players, I think, are doing a much better job than when I played even. You think, you know, when you're a kid, you think playing the NFL, make a million dollars, I'm set for life. And the next thing you know, you don't have a million dollars and you don't have a career after football. And a lot of plays, a lot of players go into a dark place. So I think they're more educated. They're doing a better job at the, at the league office and in locker rooms around the league about educating players, about managing their money and about creating a career for themselves after football. Um, but it's still, when you're young and playing the sport you love and making a lot of money, it's still hard to plan for the future. But I'm glad they're, they're doing some real good things there. You caught passes from two of my all-time favorite quarterbacks, Steve Young in a Super Bowl season uh, with the 49ers, yeah. one of my favorite teams, and John Elway. How, how did the ball feel different as a receiver coming from Steve Young to John Elway from a velocity standpoint and also left hand versus right hand with those guys? Yeah, I mean, how lucky was I? I played with Phil Simms, Jeff Hostetler in New York, and then went to Steve Young. I mean, what a great, he's as good of a guy as he was a quarterback, right? He's a Hall of Fame person. And then John Elway, just living legend when I got there. So I was very blessed. I was also selecting the teams I went to purposely <laughs> to, to go to teams with great quarterbacks. And uh, yeah, Steve Young was a lefty, so the spin's different. So if you're running a go route down the, the right sideline, the, the point of the ball tilts differently than a right-handed quarterback. And I did drop one pass in practice because of that. It, it caught me off guard a little bit. Once you get used to it, it's not that big of a deal. You just kind of get used to it. But Steve Young, in addition to being a phenomenal athlete, had such an incredible touch. I mean, he was everything was a perfect spiral. He could drop it in the bucket. He could throw every throw on the field. Just a phenomenal guy to play with. And he obviously makes everyone around him better. And just a leader, too. He had more energy than any player I've ever played with. I mean, he's bouncing around all the time. I don't know where he got it at his age. I think he was just all that competitiveness and wanting to win a Super Bowl. And I'm sure, you know, he spent his time behind Joe Montana. He's like, this is my chance. And he was just, uh, you know, electric as a human human, um, not just as a football player. And then John Elway was, I played for Jack Elway. He's the one who recruited me to Stanford. Got to know John a little bit. We went out to breakfast a couple times when I was in college. Yeah, but he was already a legend, you know, a multi-sport pro athlete, you know, already going to go to the Hall of Fame. And so when I got to play with him, I mean, I have a couple of dislocated fingers because of him. Um, but he, th I mean, you talked about the, you know, the Elway cross on your chest. I mean, he had a cannon for an arm. He could throw the thing so hard. But he also had touch as well, and he, he could extend plays and make plays with his feet, and was an incredible leader. The thing I loved about him, you know, I was a new guy, and I remember dropping him pass in practice, and I'm thinking I'm getting cut. Like, when you're a new guy, like, <laughs> I just dropped John Elway's pass. They're going to cut me at the end of the day. You know, turn in your playbook. He came running up to me and said, hey, don't worry about it. Dap me up. I'm coming right back at you. And threw the ball, same route, called the same play. Threw it right back at me and gave me another chance. And I caught Thank goodness I caught it, or maybe I would have been cut. <laughs> but, but I'm like, he was that type of guy where he made you feel welcomed, and he wanted the best out of the, his teammates and the guys he was playing with. And I think... You know, when you already have Hall of Fame status for the younger guys on the team, that's, that builds confidence. 
and builds camaraderie. And so he he treated everyone the same. He's a guy. He was he's your classic old school quarterback. He's taking the linemen out to dinner after practices or games. You know what I mean? Like he's hanging with the fellas. He was that guy, and just such a blessing. I got to play with him. You know, we all talked him into coming back for another year after Super Bowl Thirty Two because he could have just sailed into the sunset. I mean, Hall of Fame win a Super Bowl in your last game. And uh, his body was beat up. Talk about no cartilage in your knees and all the, the beatings that he took back in a day where you could pile drive quarterbacks, you know. There was no no calls on quarterbacks back then. And uh, and we talked him into coming back, and thank goodness we did because we got to win back-to-back. I think, what, are we still one of only six teams to ever do it? And uh, created some great memories for the Broncos. How's Christian doing? He's in the best shape of his life, and he wishes they could play next week. Yeah. That's how he's doing. So I think, with, like all players who aren't in the Super Bowl, Please get this game over as quickly as possible so we can start focusing <laughs> on next year. I mean, that's how I was. Like, when if I wasn't playing in the Super Bowl, it's like, let's hurry up and end it. So we, now it's 0-0 zero, zero again. But, you know, he had some bad breaks with injuries. He, he had to make a quick turnaround after getting, like, 25 or so touches. Had a quick turnaround on a Thursday night game. Looked great in the game. Then tweaked his hammy. Came back, and then a lineman fell on his ankle at the bottom of the pile. Just, you know, he went, like, 20-some years not missing a game. And then all of a sudden, you know, you have a string of bad luck. But it happens. I mean, if you play football, you will get hurt. It's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when. So he had a really lucky streak for forever. And then he had some bad luck last year. But he's luckily, he's in the best shape of his life, and he's ready to go now. He's been training like crazy, feels really good. And, um, you know, it's, it's a long wait. you got to kind of pace yourself, but he's ready to go. Ed McCaffrey, our guest. Um, I always describe Christian as, as a running back, but yet, you know, wide receiver. Wide receiver playing running back. How much did you work his hands during training whenever he was you know, learning football. Yeah, when he was a kid, um, you know, he, he said, what should I say when people ask me what position I play? Because he played receiver, running back, he played linebacker, he played safety. And I said, do what Rod Smith, my buddy, you know, he was my teammate, ring of famer, future Hall of Famer Rod Smith. I said, just tell him you're a football player. Because Rod and I, we're running down on kickoff team, you know, we're blocking receivers. Like, nobody ever heard of that, right? <laughs> you know, we're, we're, we, we got side bets on who's going to knock the most guys down. We really did. Like, it'd be two or three guys we would declete a game, and we're whoever, you know, little side bets with each other, because we wanted the coach to rewind the film. So I told Christian, just just tell people you're a football player. And then after a while, he's like, Dad, people are mad at me because I won't tell them what position I play. I'm like, okay, tell them you play running back. But, but, but really, I mean, he was a kickoff returner. He was a punt returner. He was a running back. He lines up a receiver. And I think that versatility is his strength. His speed, his quickness, his vision, and his versatility. In the NFL, it's very much a game of matchups. Mm-hmm. Like, you're trying to create mismatches offensively. So you got a linebacker in there. How are you going to cover him? you got a safety in there. We can run the ball. You get a tight end on a smaller defensive player. So because of that versatility in, that he has and some other of the elite backs in the league, uh, it allows an offensive coordinator to attack a defense in a lot of different ways. Finally, you mentioned uh, the Broncos and Shanahan, that coaching tree with Mike. Um, it's certainly across the NFL right now with all the young coaches that have coached with him or for him, of course, of course with Kyle. Can you see that with McVay's offense? Do you see the offense that you were running, for instance, in Denver? Yeah, you know, it's changed a bunch. The game has evolved, but some of the core tenets are the same. But I was looking at a picture of the Washington Redskins with Mike Shanahan as the yeah. coach, and you're seeing LaFleur and McVay and Kyle. Like, holy cow, look at, yeah. look at that coaching tree. Well, the one thing, these I mean, these guys... I mean, professionals. And there's guys that know football, and then there's guys that know football. And I'm talking about from defensive identifications to fronts to knowing how to create uh, leverage or man advantage in the run game, not just the passing game. Their run games are very complicated. But the game has changed. There's more shotgun. 
The thing that's similar with a lot of them is the motions and shifts that they use to create advantages offensively or mismatches. They do that better than anyone. They do it in Green Bay as well, right? And so, uh, so it's, there's a real art and a science to that. It has to do with how you prepare for the game, your scouting report, and then how you create those advantages. You have to have smart players to play in those systems. You need a quarterback. You need a quarterback that you can't do it. You got to be smart. You, you got to be smart at quarterback if you're going to play in that offense. And then you also, you know, if you want to win a Super Bowl, you have to have not just a smart quarterback, but a really talented quarterback that, that gets you out of bad plays into good ones, can, you know, can make clutch throws in clutch situations, either whether it's accuracy or arm strength or whatever it is. And that's why you don't see too many teams win Super Bowls without that guy calling the shots. Because a guy like McVay, they went out and got Stafford, right? And, and, and Goff was a good quarterback. They got to a Super Bowl. But he's looking for just a little bit more of he has to be me on the field. He has to make the decision I would make. I can't throw it, but if I could, this is what I would do with the football. I need him on the field doing what I would do on the field. And that's hard to do because he's Sean McVay. He's a coach. He knows the game inside and out. It's hard to find a player that can actually know the game as well as a coach. But to the extent that you can do that, it gives him more freedom to do what he wants to do, which is, is call plays. So they went out to get Stafford to win a Super Bowl. I don't know if they will, you know, but they went out to get him to not get to, but to win a Super Bowl. They're swinging for the fences. They have a hell of a team. Ed McCaffrey has been our guest. Uh, he's got the handy gym here, which Chad's going to be uh, using during the breaks today. He's yes. going to get the workout get in. Get my workout in. That's right. Get a nice sweat going. you got some good pipes already, but you're going to be yoked. Wow. Okay. They're going to get even bigger. Ed, we're going to hear about Ed, Ed McCaffrey wow. commenting on my pipes well, is the, the, uh, the, a career highlight. Yeah. The, the, Thank left you. Ar- the left arm's a little bigger than the right, so I don't know if you're a bowler, but you're still... still <laughs> well, it's, it's way I'm positioned. Yeah, okay, uh, okay, this is no, all... it's not. Are you flexing? Well, this is all an optical illusion. If I put my arm out like this, it's an optical illusion. If he knew it was going to go this way, really close to he would have oiled himself. Yeah. <laughs> That's tomorrow. I'm going to wear a t-shirt, roll the sleeves up, and oil myself. I'm going to be dressed like Pat Mac. I'm going to look like stuff. The Rock, oiled up. Good Thanks, Ed. Ed. Thanks, guys. Appreciate Ed it. Ed McCaffrey has been our guest on Radio Row. Stay tuned. More coming on Outkick 360. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time, the Roast of Tom Brady, a Netflix live event happening May 5th Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Outkick 360, your platform's favorite platform. Kayvon Thibodeau bringing us back from break. Oregon's top pass rusher. Maybe the top pick in the NFL draft in a couple of months. Outkick 360 rolls on on Radio Row at Super Bowl 56. Kayvon Thibodeau, how are you, man? Man, I'm blessed. This is uh, Being here has been so surreal, just be, being around great people in this great environment. I mean, it's once in a lifetime. You think our show name just rolls off the tongue, huh? Outkick 360, coming near you. <laughs> I, I love that. Outkick full circle, as you called it also. Outkick full circle. <laughs> I like it. Is this, is this nerve-wracking at all? No. Does that guy seem like he has nerves? <laughs> no. Uh, no, definitely not. How's, right. how's training? Getting ready for the draft going for you right now? I mean, training is training. A lot of people have been asking me how's training, but I feel like I've been training for <laughs> however long I've been playing football, almost two decades. So, Well, not two, maybe one decade. But, you know, I mean, now we're just cranking it up. And, you know, Ray Lewis says something to me. It's like he trains every day to fail. So that I've implemented that in my training where if I'm succeeding, I'm not training hard enough. You know, so I really want to go until I fail so I know what it feels like to be at the bottom. Are you training with the Handy Gym? We had Ed McCaffrey on earlier, and now you, you bring it back. Handy Gym. 
all you need is your hands. <laughs> <laughs> That's perfect. I'm sold. Exactly. I actually haven't trained with Handy Jim, but I did a couple curls, and I'm telling you. Oh, I saw you, you over there. I'm telling you, when I did the curls, the girls couldn't stop looking. <laughs> <laughs> they're, they're confirming. Right. Um, so, Oregon. Yeah, I mean, you've got, I was reading up on your background throughout the season and watching you play. You've got an NFT. Mm-hmm. You have uh, your own cryptocurrency. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean, what have you not done and partnered with with Phil Knight there and, and Nike? Well, I don't have a Nike contract. Okay. I'm still yeah. in negotiations. Yeah. I, I, I love Uncle Phil, and he's, one thing I really love about him, he's really committed. You know, there's a lot of people who, who, who create a facade that they, that they care about the future, but he really does. And even if you see with Division Street and the things that they're doing, I mean, you, it's clear that they really care about the future of our players and, 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 and Oregon as, as a family. Can we see the wingspan? I want to see you put your hands around this, these guys' shoulders. What do you think, Paul? I got I to disconnect. Hold on. Let me disconnect my shoulders. Well, <laughs> <laughs> no. pretty big wingspan, no yeah. doubt. Hey, we had this discussion earlier about Oregon and NIL and how it, it, they're just positioned perfectly on, with man. Phil Knight and Nike. But also, there's a lot of schools that are Nike. So I feel yeah. like Phil Knight, as a businessman, wants to look out for all of his properties also mm-hmm. because other schools are going to say, hey, throw a little money at some of our athletes also when they get here, right? But he could still give more to Oregon. You, you know where Phil Knight, you know where he went to school. Oh, yeah. That's why I'm asking the question. It's different. Yeah. That's all I'm going to say. It, 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 there is a lot of schools are Nike, but not a lot of schools have had Phil Knight run on that campus. So it, it, there's a different love. You know, he has a locker in the locker room. He comes to all the games. We, there's a different love for Oregon that's it, it's unexplainable. That no matter you know how hard we try, it, it's it's that it's his home. You know, so he's gonna he's always gonna be there. I'm pretty sure he'll probably. You know, I, I won't even I won't even tell the future, but he I know he has a lot coming for Oregon. What's the the strategy to get ready for uh, for the combine and your pro day? And where's Chuck Smith fit in, the, mm. the pass rush specialist in Atlanta? Well, like you said, he is the pass rush specialist, so he's going to help me fine-tune. I'm already fine-tuning. See, the thing about me, I like to get ahead of the game. I'm not going to wait until after the combine to start fine-tuning my pass rush moves. I've been fine-tuning them since, since the day football stopped. You know, So for me, uh, he's just going to give me that extra uh, uh, boost up that hill, You know, that extra fire that I need that's going to that's gonna really put it together. You know, Mario Cristobal, no longer the coach at Oregon, coached you. Mm-hmm. Uh, when he got there, the talk was, this is going to be a tough football team. Oregon was known for finesse for years. This is going to be a different built team now at Oregon. Did you see that toughness in Mario Cristobal and how he recruited you and in and, 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 and with that team? It's about culture, right? And one thing that he talked about is culture, culture, culture. So when you realize that the toughness comes from the unbreakable culture and you have people that are, are willing to buy in, I mean, he's, he's done it at the highest level. And I feel like now, at him being at Miami, I mean, it, it's, it's inevitable that they'll be, you know, playing for one of those big, those big games within the next, you know, three to five years. You're from L.A., right? Yes, sir. If not Oregon, would you have gone to SC? No. No. What was number two? Oregon. So it was Oregon all the way. Uh, well, you know, there I, wasn't a second. There place. was a, Alabama was on the list. There we was, know that. There was people on the list, but if you're asking me if I could do it again, yeah, where else would I go? I probably would have went to HBCU. So it was not a hard decision at the end of the day. It was Oregon. No, it was Oregon. Yes. I mean, you, you got to realize that you once I realized right, and I've and, and I've had Hall of Famers. I I speak to Ray Lewis because it was it was God that I met him. It was it was crazy, but he told me he said if you really have goals. You got to write down who you want your legacy to be, 
right? So you all movies and all books, not all of them, but most of them are written with the end first, right? So if I know where I want to get to, I can figure out the steps that it takes, right? So for me, I knew that I wanted to be a global name. I wanted my name to, to, to live on forever beyond football. Even though that football was going to be the, 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 the platform for greatness, I wanted it to be carried out through the way I live my life. So I felt like Oregon was going to be that place to help me set up not only the next three years but the next 30 years. Somebody, uh, you feel like you should be the first pick in this draft? Um, I, I don't necessarily just feel like it because how you feel doesn't really matter. I'm, I'm going to put in the work, and I'm determined to show that, uh, that I'm worth the number one pick. You've been looking ahead at all the teams in Jacksonville, number I mean, one? Yeah, I have, but I try not to really look at it because, you know, anything can happen. Anybody can trade up. You know, you, know, you never know. You never know. So all I can do is control what I can control. The combine's coming up. I got to literally give it my all. And, and I said, literally, I'm going to – you're going to think we're really – even though the combine's not a conditioning test, you're going to think that it's a conditioning test how hard I'm going to be going. We'll be there. We look forward to that. Tell us about the Dream Foundation. Okay, so the Dream Foundation is something I created. It is an acronym. It's not Dream with a D. It's Dream with a J, right? And the acronym is <clears throat> Journey to Readiness and enrichment through academic mentorship, right? And the whole reason I created uh, the Dream Foundation is because my life, I wouldn't be sitting here with you guys if I didn't have people, mentors who believed in me, right? One thing my mom really harped on was academics, and she knew that no matter how good I was in football, you need academics to succeed in life, right? So now I'm in this position where <clears throat> I have the resources, I have the connections, I have, you know, the things that a lot of kids that come from where I come from need. So uh, with that, I want to be able to have all the brands and the different companies that believe in me. I, I, I said it. I don't want it to be transactional, right? I want them to believe in me, and I want them to be family so that they can believe in the kids that I believe in. And they can, you know, <clears throat> feed whatever they give me, they're giving to my, to my uh, foundation, right? So the first thing that my foundation is going to do, we've already partnered with a, a middle school, right? It's an academy. And what they already have, it's a basketball academy. And it's for middle schoolers from 6th to 8th grade. It's Core Prep Academy, right? So and we're launching it this September, and we're going to have our first, um, you know, first class going this September. We already have a lot of sponsors committed to helping and, and donating money. And we're going to want, we're not only going to give the tuition for the kids to attend the uh, academy, but we're also going to um, start our own uh, football program. And this is also we're we're getting we're getting played out. We have a hard out here. Okay. Thank you so much for joining. Kayvon us. Appreciate it. Oh, from the Super Bowl on Outkick 360. Don't block the box. Do lock the locks.